Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change in the world and give you ideas on how to take action. I'm your host, Adam Morris, and today I am here with Jennifer Sconyers of Culture Shift, who does a lot of work in diversity and inclusion. One of my greatest learnings that followed the death of George Floyd is that we need to first understand the progress that has been made in diversity and then continually push forward. Jennifer has such a great perspective on what this looks like, so I'm so excited to have her join me today. Jennifer, welcome on the podcast. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Can we start off? Can you tell us just a little bit about what Culture Shift is about? Yeah, so Culture Shift is my primary program. I am the president and founder of Abundance Leadership Consulting based here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I started the business April 1st to 2016, so April Fool's Day. Um, I was very serious about this industry. (laughs) And really what inspired this was me working in teams in different ways um, as a hiring manager, a senior leader, or a senior staff person, senior manager. Um, It didn't matter what industry that I was in, I would notice some of the same challenges. Um, And it had to do with things like diverse hiring practices, to how to retain that diverse talent to, um, you know, the conditions, frankly, is in the organization so that the conditions weren't necessarily conducive for people of diverse backgrounds um, to to thrive and be successful. And instead of complaining about it, I thought I would do something about it. And I think, you know, for me, the orientation, um, it's, it's important that that the heart of what I do is about people and relationships. So, um, you know, I work, I, I do whole trainings on different levels of system and we're creating change. You know, we've got to think about the complexity and that's important to the work. But, you know, you know, I don't just think about systems. There are people that make up systems, right? So it's really important that we also look at the relationships involved because ultimately that is going to support a change model that has some longevity. Um, and that gets beyond just a checklist, right? So I think for some organizations and teams, if they have their to-do list <laughs> and they just check off the box and say, oh, we did it. And, and really that's not, that's not what culture change looks like. It does require doing things like um, looking at your systems and structures on a team organization and figuring out what needs to be shifted or changed um, or created. It also requires people being able to um, open up and, you know, look and change their hearts and minds, right? Like their beliefs, their values, um, what brings them to an organization or team or to a community. Um, And then from that, we can look at changing behavior. So it takes all of those things to um, create a culture shift or to do that in a culture model. Um, and that's that's actually part of what's required. But, you know, it's it's also about it's people, <laughs> right? It's people. And so I think this people putting people and keeping people at the heart of the, the work is is really, really critical. So what kind of diversity issues actually come up in a company? Mm-hmm. I often get called in because there's some sort of um, crisis sometimes or challenge. Um you know, sometimes it's as simple as people saying, well, we don't know where to find diverse people. So, you know, they come to me with a hiring problem when usually that's indicative of a greater challenge, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where to find X, right? Like, diverse people suddenly just don't exist somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it's not just about knowing where to look. It's also creating the conditions and the environment still want to stay and that they're being developed and that they're being seen, respected, and heard, and they're not dealing with different, you know, different levels of aggression. That sounds like that's a really important point that, hey, yeah. you know, if a company is looking to be more diverse, it's got to start with the environment that they currently yeah. have. Right. Yeah, they've got to create the conditions for people to thrive, right? And, you know, often you hear people say, well, we, we really try to, you know, hire diverse folks and we don't know why they don't stay or, you know, perhaps that they do it at the at the entry level, right? Because they're a company organizational culture where they... Um, they essentially like grow from within. So the only way to really get in the door is if you're hired, you know, out of school or into a position. And that's great to a point. But if, if there's something in the culture that's preventing people from different backgrounds from thriving, it's, it's worth, it's worth some introspection. Also, you know, when I work with groups, it's not just about the internal company culture, you know, companies, produce things and provide products and services, right? And have customers (laughs) and clients. So um, it's important to look at the internal culture, but we also look externally too in terms of those dynamics and client relationships. Um, And because I think it's important to, it's a both, it's a both and because you might have some, some things work on internally, but if also, if you have people going into an external environment, that's hostile for whatever reason, those are things that, you know, we also, we also get to look into. Do you have like a, a case study that you might be able to share with us? Oh my gosh. Well, I have, I have some works in progress. I feel like, I feel like everyone I'm working with is in the midst of their change model, right? So no one's like solved it. Um, <laughs> but um, they're all, in, they're all in different states of wellness. So I work across industries and sectors. Um, so public sector, private sector, I work with, nonprofits and um, educational institutions and companies and um, they vary in sizes and um, so I'm working with several several companies now but there's there is um, there's a nonprofit I'm working with in the East Coast and and you know they're going through their own their own culture change and it's really anchored in uh, diversity equity and inclusion and they're also wrestling with what does it mean to be racially just I mean there's a lot there. Um, when they're wrestling with things like, what does it mean to be an anti-racist organization and figuring that out? Um, and I think, you know, with this particular organization, it's very complex. So, you know, they've got, they have this board structure, which, you know, most companies, most organizations have some sort of board, whether it's a corporate board or a nonprofit board, there's a governing body. Um, you know, they have senior leadership. So for them, it's like director, but also like, you know, the CEO and the C-suite, right? So it's a director and like a senior leadership team um they have different levels of management they have staff um there's there's all these there's all these dynamics and and ultimately you know we're and it's also a very old organization so this organization is over 100 years old so there's a culture that's been around for a while they're they're part of like a national network of organizations do similar work so there's a lot Right. So when we look in terms of different levels of systems, you have this one organization that's, you know, that's part of a system <laughs> that's been around for a very long time that does really important work that creates a level of service to the community. And, you know, they're, they're wrestling with some really challenging issues that are issues for them, but also issues that are current to our time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
So I think in that model, because it's so complex, part of the strategy is to, you know, address the different layers of complexity, right? So, and that we have multiple strategies happening. There's, there's a year-long learning program that's, that's underway that's supporting the entire um, employees and the entire staff and team essentially to get some shared learning, shared understanding, to be able to do some work in terms of what does this mean in their organization. There's an intervention at the manager level where we're going through a really intensive, um, we're calling it a DEI strategic planning process, but essentially we're putting, it's all on Zoom. Everything's online now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm structured it where it's like, a, it's a six week series for 90 minutes every week Plus, they have small group assignments in between to, to put together this strategic plan um, at the management level. And, that, and that'll inform how they manage their teams across departments, right? So they have a specific vision as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and then we know we have a, a piece that is a rapid response coaching intervention, which is really as things are emergent, right, within the organization and that system, we're able to manage them head on. Um, mm. So I say that because, you know, that's what I, and I, I have a whole swimming pool analogy with this work. There's the shallow end, the medium end, and the deep end. Shallow end is really people who are kind of dipping their toe in and like, well, what's this thing called diversity? Very like entry level, like one-on-one, pre, pre-one-on-one. There's the middle end of the pool where people have done some of the work, but they don't quite know how to translate that into like day-to-day practices and actions. And then there's a deep end of the pool that's very complex. You know, these are, these are companies and organizations and teams that have maybe attempted to do this multiple times over the years to very little success, maybe even done some harm unintentionally. Um, and so they just require a high level of engagement and care. So I would say in this example, I'd say this is a deep end of the pool analogy uh, example in terms mm-hmm. of there's a lot that's happened that predates me <laughs> working <laughs> with them. Um, and there's a lot of intervention that's required, a lot of support intervention that's required. And, you know, it's also, you know, because of that, we're looking at, I, I talk about the small WNs, but what are the ways that we can see some changes and it can be as simple as you know they change how they do their hiring it'd be as simple as um this group had an intern class just completed like they were using some of the things they were taught and just recruiting for this intern class which is wonderfully diverse had a robust experience right so we can point to things and say okay this is how what they're learning is being applied in real time and when it comes to things like how to change hearts and minds and behavior I think that's just a longer process and that comes with you know as we're going through a planning process people are asking like we're asking really tough questions of people right mm-hmm. um, and there are questions that have to do with the organization its vision its mission and you know how do these principles show up or align to this you know this mission and vision that's been around for a while and what's the vision of their leadership and those are the things i think that are important people to wrestle with um, especially those who are decision makers and influencers if if they really want to um, move into this space of how do we make this environment more equitable? How do we, how do we create a space of true belonging, right? What does it mean to belong here? Um, you know, and if you can do that, then the diversity piece is actually ends up being an outcome. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's not, you're not doing this head count thing, right? Like it's literally, that's an outcome because you create the conditions. Can we wade into the, uh, 
the shallow kiddie pool for a little bit. <laughs> I'm really amazed, like during the this COVID-19 time, uh, you've yeah. taken up your pajama activism on YouTube <laughs> and just sharing some really cool definitions around, you know, what it means to be an anti-racist, you know, what's the difference between yeah. equality, equity, and justice. And yeah. um, I'd love to just kind of capture that a little bit. Um, yeah. What does it actually mean to be an anti-racist? Part of this work, there's so there's so much information and literature out there, right? So I think for people who really want to do the work, you know, they can read the book, right? That's like how to be an anti-racist, right? Like that is something that should be on people's book list. I think what's really important and just looking at individual people stepping outside of the scope of organizations and teams, because I think an organization or a company needs to really define what this means for them, um, along with like, the complexity of who they are and what they do and how this can be lived and actualized. So I'm, all, I'm actually very much about taking the theoretical and making it practical. Um, but, you know, we're talking about what, you know, how can you be an anti-racist or what does that mean? Um, part of this is, you know, we are we're looking at actually it's kind of like lifting the lid or lifting the hood of our systems, of our structures, of our policies, of how, how our communities and governments and, and all these structures are, are constructed and configured. And we're looking at, you know, the things that are um, causing inequities, right? We're looking at the disparities in a real way. And we're not just doing it to navel gaze, we're doing it to dismantle it to create something new. Um, it also, I think, which is really important is this isn't something like a like a badge you wear so you can feel better about yourself as an individual. <laughs> it's actually looking at how, so if we're doing this, you know, this if we're doing this dismantling, right, if we're disrupting things that don't work or that are causing harm based on race, right, um, through that lens of race and racism, then part of it is, well, what are we, what are we doing to, to fix or change or erect or build that is just so that it fundamentally changes people's outcomes, right? And and like that's what we're looking to do. It's not just so people can feel better and, and like wear a badge in their chest, but it's like, well, what are we doing to fundamentally change these these outcomes? And I think that's what's really, really important. And that's what separates people who like who just like want to kind of like be along to get along with what we're going on now, and people who are really all in, who are really um showing what like what I call effective allyship. And I use different language depending on the the um, spaces I'm in in terms of what people are going to resonate with, but essentially, I want people to stand alongside me who are who are going to stand alongside me through the thick of it, who are you know working alongside me to make things more just, right? That's what I want. I don't want people to stand alongside me because it's convenient or it looks good today, but as soon as it gets hard, where <laughs> to be found, right? And I think in this time, you know, I think a cautionary tale is there are a lot of you know, I think right after the death of George Floyd, that was awakening for a lot of people, and I'm and I'm glad that you know they were awakened to what's happening if they if they were unaware. And we saw a lot of you know statements from different um, corporations and entities about what this meant to them, and some were very vague and some were very clear. But you know, it's it's not just about putting out statements; it's about how are you going to live your values as, let's say, in a, in a company, right? And what's actually going to change? And how are how are their practices going to change? 
both internally and externally. Setting those commitments and goals and doing it in a way where there's accountability, right? Like if, like if a, like a company, they put out this, this really beautiful statement about how, you know, they stand up to racial injustice and they're an anti-racist company organization, but then their corporate board is all white. And they're and they're just hired some new executives who are also all white. Then it's like, well, what what was that statement about? Like as an example, right? Because because people are now looking to say, well, what have what's changed here? <laughs> what, what have you actually done here, right? As an example, so there's gotta be there's gotta be some proof in the actions, right? And it's there's you gotta be able to show <laughs> show don't tell, right? In terms of what you're doing, and I think this is true for organizations and teams, also individual individual people too. Um, but I think it's it's really about the actions that, that people can take moving forward. Mm. And really doing that work of understanding, hey, what, what barriers have been erected in place um, and what actions can I take to take those barriers down? Yeah, and I think what's important is that, you know, there are people who've been in this work for years, right? Like this is not, this is not new. So for people who are new to this, it's actually important to understand the work that has already been done. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like, and I've told people, it's like, this might not mean that you're leading from the front. Actually, if you're really going to be an effective ally, you're leading from the side or behind. You're taking your cues for people who've been in this for a while, who, who are leading in different ways. And you're learning. Right. While you're simultaneously, what I say, you know, you're, you're kind of organizing your people. Right? <laughs> so, so you're you're taking on some emotional labor here. You're looking at who are some people who based in your relationships can be moved. Right. Um, and this and this is dependent upon like, you know, where you are, who you are and like what what you're attempting to change. But I do think, you know, something I've been noticing because I do monitor different online spaces and people I think are doing the very best they can this time. I think people are trying their best to be good allies and, you know, trying to figure out what this what this whole thing means for how to be an anti-racist. I, I will say, um, yes, people in the spirit of anti-racism should, should call forward racism when they see it, right? Don't ignore it. Call it forward. And shaming people because they're racist and leaving it there actually isn't going to change hearts and minds. So, <laughs> so I think, and this has to do with the level of relationship you have with people, right? If it's a stranger on the street who says or does something racist, yes, you can say something. Are you invested in that person's future and how they behave? Maybe not because you're, you're not in relationship with them, but if this is someone who's a relative or a family member or a colleague and you're in relationship with them then you're probably going to have a deeper interest in seeing their transformation with this. <laughs> what can you do with that if you encounter somebody, you know, who's a relative? I think this is hard. And this is, this is where, you know, I tell people, like, if there's a way for you to find some co common ground, if there's a way for you to find some shared values, right? And also, no, not everyone's going to be converted. You know, not everyone's coming along. So I think part of it, too, is getting clear on how much energy, time and resource you want to put into this. And it's also it's also based on what are you what's what's the goal and what are you trying to move? Right. And um, 
look, I mean, some people, you can spend all your energies on them and they may not move an inch because they're just, they're just not going to, they're not motivated. They can still love you, but they are very wet and attached to their beliefs and what I call their stories, their narratives, and they're not going to change. Right. Um, but there are people who, who are willing to be educated. And I think it's important to discern in your relationships who's willing to be educated. And if you're going to spend a lot of energy and resource on people, spend the folks who are willing to be educated, you know, because that can actually, that's like more bang for your buck, right? right? Like they're, they're actually people who can be moved. It can be based on some more information for some, for some more context because of their appreciation or love for you if they're a relative, Right. That can move people along further, um, but there are going to be some people that, for their own reasons, can't, cannot, will not be moved at all. And and you got to make choices about if that's where you want to spend your energy and time. So I think as as allies, you got to be choiceful about. Now, this is not an excuse to not do anything. It's not an excuse to, look, to, to lean back and say, "Well, it's just too much. I can't. I can't do anything." Like that's not that's not a solution. But it's about you can be choiceful and strategic about what it looks like. And making sure the people you're, they're bringing along are are right there with you, right? They are they are willing to also take on the work. They're they're willing to do the learning, right? Um, and it's worth the energy and time and effort you're putting forth, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and, I, and I think you know the relative thing is tough because again, those are your relatives. I think it translates. It, it lands a little bit differently in a workplace where you know for all in a work environment to achieve the same mission, then I, ideally and ultimately that's what's bringing us together, right? So if we can create enough shared ground around the values of what we're doing and we're up to the values of our mission, we can make the case of why this is important, not just for good feelings because of the work that we're doing in the world. That actually, right, if you create enough ground, enough context for that, that can sort that can support people in beginning to make some shifts because they see the value in it. Now, I don't know, like it's to varying degrees of how much that changes hearts and minds, <laughs> but you can you can at least begin to create enough ground where people can see the value and could be open to this idea of doing the work. That makes sense. I mean, it, we had this conversation in Give Back Hack for planning our upcoming event and. The conversation was very much about, well, how do we increase the diversity of the participants and make them feel more welcome? Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of what we came up with was like, hey, we need to partner with other organizations. Mm -hmm. So reaching out to groups like the Urban Accelerator or Black Hack or Black Tech Columbus mm -hmm. um, and showing up there. And so that, you know, we can form new relationships with people so that they could come in um, and feel feel welcome. Mm -hmm these are relationships being formed right so you know it, it shouldn't just be one way right it shouldn't just be well we need to increase our diversity numbers so we're going to build this partnership there's got to be something in it for you and for them mm. <laughs> you know there's got to be value that works both ways our groups are this all the time because they'll say oh we need to increase our diversity numbers to do x maybe it's a project maybe whatever the thing is right or a set of services <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, I can see why, you know, one of my clients would say they want to see some more diversity, but there's got to be something for the people that you're recruiting or people you want to be in relationship with. Like, why would they want to be in relationship with you? If you're creating something valuable to them, then they're going to want that, right? 
But if you're doing it just because you need to like increase diversity numbers, then I would say rethink that. <laughs> right? <clears throat> yeah, because there's gotta be something in it for both of you. Like what's in it for you, what's in it for them? Yeah, I mean I I was really surprised this year. Uh Goldman Sachs um came out with a statement at the beginning of the year that was basically we're not gonna take any company public that doesn't have um, you know, some diversity on their on their board. Mm-hmm. Um, and their reason was purely financial, right? So that diversity of of backgrounds leads to diversity of ideas and much higher outcomes for for companies. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a clear link between um, you know having that diversity and just being able to serve you know your clients as a company much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of research that supports that as well, right? Because some of it turns into just missed opportunities, right? When you don't have the diversity of backgrounds and experiences in a company or in a team that you could be actually losing in business. So even for people who just look like look at bottom lines and dollars and cents, that can be attractive. Um, what I've been pushing people, so when I started doing this work, you know, people were, I think, the stretch was the, what I call the diversity of thought discussion. <laughs> and um, there's an article that came out maybe 2007. I can't remember the, the year, but it's it's called Why Diversity Makes Us Smarter. Um, I think it was Scientific American. And, um, you know, and I had different forums for clients back then where we would start there because that was their stretch. Like literally the diversity of thought discussion was their entry point to this work. And what I challenge people today in 2020 is that, Yes, diversity of thought's great, and there's diversity of backgrounds, experiences, you know, like ethnicities. There's so much that can be very rich, but again, you know, it shouldn't stop there, right? Um, and it is about creating the conditions so people with diverse backgrounds and experiences can thrive. So while it's it is a good business decision. <laughs> so again, just, just for just for like companies, it is a good business decision, but it's not I mean it's great that they like they drew a line in the sand. Um but also if you want if you want those if you want the conditions to change, it means you've got to do something about it. And it means, and that's like what I call I mean we we talked about that's the inclusion part of diversity inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um but it's more than just people being included. It's them feeling like they belong. And so that usually requires some changes in and shifts in the culture, right? And that means that means kind of like taking a close look, <laughs> you know, at the culture and really taking a look to see the things that work and that don't. And, you know, that can shake some things up because that means making different choices and different decisions. And that means, you know, potentially and typically doing business differently. I mean, it just, it requ- it's like a domino effect in terms of the changes that can happen. So it does require that folks are, are up for that challenge, um, knowing that that, you know, change is uncomfortable by design. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're talking about transforming culture, like that's, it's not, it's not easy, but it can be really powerful, really valuable, and really, really productive if people are willing to engage in it. I love this. Uh, you shared a, a wallpaper analogy, mm. you know, about about companies. Um, mm-hmm. I use the wallpaper analogy when I when I I think it's in the pajama activism when I talk about structural racism. It's like the ugly wallpaper that's been in the background for so long, and you don't even realize it <laughs> until <laughs> until it's brought to your attention, 
right? Unless it's brought you into your impact about it, you don't even realize it's there. It's been there for so long and it's it's embedded in our systems and structures. And it's something that's been there and it's it's in all of them, right? Like this is part of our, what I call the dominant culture that we've all been recruited into. So it's there. It's It's been there really since the beginning of our country's inception in history. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's like the ugly uh, you like take it for granted until you're impacted by it or something happens or someone like yeah. points it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you're not aware of it, you can't do anything about it. So right. if you can, uh, you know, start to see it and notice it, then you can start to actually create some change around it. Right. Right. That's great. So with some of these terms, what is the difference between things like equality and equity and justice? This particularly comes up in the nonprofit spaces that I work in. So, And I work a lot in the environmental movement. And so we talk a lot in that particular sector about, you know, what is equality, what is equity, and what is justice. There's an infographic that's circulated. You know, you've probably seen it in social media. And it's the three people, and they're looking out at the ball game. It looks like a baseball game, and there's a fence, right? And so, um, and they, and the, the three people it looks like they're male identifying, and they're different heights. So there's a tall person, there's a shorter, there's a medium sized person, a shorter person, and so you know, with equality. It really presumes that everyone's coming in from the same point of entry, that, you know, if everyone has has the same level of resource, so they should be fine. And in this image, we see, you know, the three people are saying the, the exact same height of the box and the tall person's fine. They, they probably don't even need the box, honestly, but they're fine. They can see the, the ball game. The person at medium height their, their head's just barely over the fence. They can see it, but the person who's shorter in stature still can't see the game. The fence is in the way, right? So equality is like making sure everyone gets the, the same exact resource or, or slice, if you will. Um, equity um, recognizes that not everyone has the same starting point for a number of reasons. And so in equity, it's really making sure that people are properly resourced based on the levels of advantage or disadvantage. So in this image, again, these are three people looking at the ball game and the tall person doesn't need a box at all. They can see the game fine. Uh, the medium-sized person has a has a box. They can actually they can actually see the game, <laughs> right? They're heading <laughs> over the fence now, and the shorter person has a couple of boxes, right? And now they can see the game. And in this, you can see that everyone is at the same level. They can all see the game in the same way. So again, with equity, it's making those adjustments, realizing people have different starting points. Uh, with with equity. With justice, <laughs> in this image, um, I think it's important because in this image, um, before it was a wooden fence, right? So people couldn't see at all. Um, in this image for justice, it's actually um, one of those, I think, those metal fences with the holes, right? Um, so you can see. <laughs> and, and now everyone can see the game. And so... With justice, we're talking about we are looking at the systems themselves and how they need to be reworked, 
right? So instead of saying everyone's here from a different starting block and acknowledge that that's important with justice, we're, we're eradicating, you know, that people even need a different starting block, right? Like we are, we are fundamentally um, recreating or changing an, an entire system so that everyone has access. Um, the analogy I think that I used in my pajama activism video had to do with a pie, <laughs> right? And so I was just like, you know, um, essentially people at different slices of the pie based on the, based on the level of need. You know, some people came and they were really hungry. So a sliver of pie, and I had this whole analogy with pie. I think with the pie analogy, you know, if, if the problem you're trying to solve is hunger, if that's the problem, then a pie, one pie by itself doesn't solve an issue of hunger, right? You've got to figure, you've got to find a way, like, how do we create a con- set series of conditions where people are fed, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that people are well-fed, right? So we're addressing the root. <laughs> what is the root, root cause of this problem? And we're, we're finding a solution that, that actually allows for justice, so that's the difference between the three. Does, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that because I think when people are, are thinking about this and you hear systemic racism or, you know, this stuff, it's like putting a picture to that, I think really helps in terms of what that actually means and how it's going to correspond to the effort that you put into creating change. Right. And I think with justice, you know, it's removing that systemic barrier. So whatever that barrier is, justice is removing that. Right. And that's I think that's what's really important. What's the actual first step that somebody needs to do to become a more inclusive environment? Yeah, well, a lot of the the work that I do, I would say, is more like pre-work 101 level work addresses this. Um, So one of the online courses that I that I teach, it was in person. Now it's online. Um, (laughs) It's called Path to Most Resilience. And it's really a primer on how to begin to create an inclusive team and what that means. And that, you know, individual people can be resilient, but true resilience requires a level of support uh, and supports, which are individual people. And being really clear what that is, right, and how that can create an environment where people are adequately supported, which is really a primer to what does it mean to create to create an inclusive team. Um, so, yeah, the path to most resilience is something I've I've delivered a couple of times just during quarantine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and even just when we're doing just with COVID, because that's plenty, right? Just dealing with COVID alone, I actually delivered that to one of the local chambers of commerce um, to support folks. Because, you know, that's when people were thinking about how do we how do we get back to work? What does this look like? How do we adjust, right? Um, it's also true in this time now of racial unrest, right? Like how do you create the conditions or the environment so that people can really really experience being seen, respected, and heard in their workplaces. So I think that's that's one that I that I offer that does that. Um, another pre-primary offer is, is called Creating Joy in the Workplace. And it's really, a, it's really a primer to give people some beginning vocabulary. So we talk about what is diversity? What is inclusion? What is unconscious bias? And it's just very, it's very high level from the purpose of what does this mean in a team and how is that practically applied? Right. So it lets people um, get a sense of what these terms are. But we also dig into what does that mean in a workplace? Um, What does that mean when you're working together to solve problems as a team? What does that mean, 
you know, when addressing things like conflicts or misalignments, right? So even just having things like um, vocabulary and terms is also usually where I start with people. And I'm developing some additional things too on what it means to be an anti-racist, what it means to create an anti-racist team. I'm doing that work now because that's something people are re- requesting um, that the clients are asking for. So I'm putting those things together too. But typically I start with vocabulary and shared, shared terms. And then, you know, what is this what does this mean to your daily decision-making, your daily life, right? So it's, it's applied and also um, giving people questions they can ask or things they can ponder, right? So they can do things in real time. Okay, that's great. Uh, how do people find out about you? Yeah, well, they, you know, they can come to my website, jenniferscaniers.com. Um, they can also check out my YouTube channel, just Jennifer Sconiers. And um, I think there's a dozen or so <laughs> videos now on YouTube that I put together. Um, pajama activism really came out of just, I had a lot of people asking questions um, after the death of George Floyd and not knowing what they should do. And, and I, and I knew I was going to do something on YouTube. I already put, you know, it made a plan to do a YouTube channel and, um, this is, this is how it took form. And so, yes, for people to know, I, I am the pajama activist. I'm actually in my pajamas for some of these videos, <laughs> not all of them, but some. <laughs> and they're great videos too. I just, I, I love how like they're short to the point and they just, yeah deliver a concept across so it's a great starting point yeah but yeah people people can find me there too for sure yeah great um and do you have anything else coming up that uh, we should touch on yeah i mean i think you know what i'm rolling out now is like i said with some of that shallow level and pre-101 work um that's actually going to be rolled out so um past the most resilience i'm actually going to roll that out in the fall to the public i'm doing some customized work for clients but i also want to have a public cohort um just to just to try that on and really experience it i want people to have the tools to take back to their teams um i will likely be doing that some other work too with like joining the workplace, et cetera. So that's coming up in the fall. I'll probably start promotions um, beginning next month. And yeah, people can look, be on the lookout for that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your insight today and talking about this. Um, I, I just, I, I really love getting your perspective. So thank you very much. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Again, a huge thank you to Jennifer Sconiers of Culture Shift. You can find out more about her at jenniferskonyers.com. That's S-C-O-N-Y-E-R-S. And further details will be on the show notes on peoplehelpingpeople.world. I hope you got a lot out of this. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.